Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Matt Morton. I'm the college pastor, usually over at Anderson, uh, but it's a delight to be with you this morning. Blake had a little procedure done on his eye this week, and so he took the week off from preaching. Uh, but we're going to continue in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be in verses 14 through 27. I'm going to reiterate a few of the verses that Blake talked about last week, and then we'll go a bit further into chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, get over to Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 14 to 27. It's my understanding that Blake used an illustration last week about Leona Helmsley, uh, the uh, hotel baroness in New York, who, when she died, she left $12 million to her dog. And uh, it's quite an illustration of uh, lavishing affection on an animal, on an undeserving, unworthy being. Uh, More money went to that dog than to most of her family. And so uh, he used that illustration to talk about God's love for us. I wanted to start with a similar story, another pet story that I ran across a couple of years ago. I ran across an article discussing the world's most expensive dog house. I'm going to share this with you. Here's a picture of the dog house uh, that uh, I ran across. Now, let me just, if you can't read that, let me just share with you a few of the features. Um, It's got a kennel with two bedrooms and a day lounge, automatic food and water dispensers, self-cleaning eating and drinking bowls. I'd like that for my own kitchen. Uh, 52-inch plasma screen TV playing the dog whisperer. Uh, outdoor sheltered area with closed caption TV. The day beds are lined with sheepskin and are temperature controlled. There's an outdoor adventure play area with a climbing ramp. And uh, this is my favorite, a retina scan entry for dogs. Now, I don't know if a lot of unauthorized dogs try to get in or whatever, but uh, (laughs) if so, they scan their retinas. Uh, This doghouse costs somebody $417,000 for their dog. Now, it's just an animal. And when we see that, we think, what a waste. Who would lavish that much attention and money and affection on an unworthy little animal like a dog? And yet when I see that, I see a parallel between uh, this woman's treatment of her dog and God's treatment of us when we read Romans 8. Because when we look at a passage like Romans 8, what we see is God lavishing his affection and his love and his attention on extremely unworthy, sinful beings like you and me. It's not just that we are small and insignificant, although we are compared to God. God is infinitely greater than us, infinitely larger and more capable. It's not just like a dog that we're small and insignificant. It's also that we're rebellious, right? We've rebelled against God. Each of us has sinned against God. We've shaken our fist at God and said, I don't want to obey you. I don't want to follow you. And yet in his grace and mercy, God has lavished love on us through Jesus Christ. That is the story of the book of Romans. Just to rehash quickly the flow of the book, the first 17 verses talk about this theme. The main theme is this, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everybody who believes. And so the book of Romans is really Paul's statement on what has God done for us in Jesus Christ. And he begins by talking about how all of humanity is condemned because of sin. We have all sinned against God. We're all worthy of wrath. That's what we deserve. We don't deserve the love of God. But in his grace, God gave Jesus. That's chapters three through five. 
This idea of justification weaves its way through the book, that God in Jesus Christ has declared us righteous. In other words, God has said, even though you sinned against me because of what Jesus has done, Jesus died in your place, he rose again, God now declares us righteous before him, that all of our obligations are met in Jesus Christ. And so we can know him and have eternal life. Now we're in this third major section of the book, chapter six through eight, where Paul talks about uh, practically how do we live out what God has declared us to be. This concept of sanctification, practical righteousness, and the critical element in our sanctification that Blake really began to talk about last week in chapter eight is that the Holy Spirit now lives within you and me. All right, so now we've been forgiven of our sins, but we have been given God's spirit that dwells within us, the spirit that actually raised Jesus from the dead. The most powerful being in the universe lives in you and me if we have believed in Jesus Christ. And as we continue throughout chapter eight, what we see is that the spirit of God has several distinct purposes in our life, one of which is to remind us daily, moment by moment of who we are and what God has done for us to remind us that in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life, to remind us that through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to reign with God, to receive an inheritance beyond any inheritance that you will receive on this earth. And so day by day, it may be that like me, you often feel that you're unworthy to be called a child of God. Maybe you feel that way. I feel that way sometimes. Because I know as I go throughout my week, the way that I often think and speak and act is not consistent with what it means to represent Jesus Christ. And so I feel unworthy. Maybe you feel the same way. There are also times that I just feel insignificant. Like there's really nothing significant or important uh, that my life is going to amount to. And maybe you feel the same way as well. And what we see in Romans 8 is that because of Jesus Christ, because the spirit of God lives within us, what we have day by day, moment by moment is a reminder that your life has the ability now to carry a significance far beyond this world. That the things that you do and the things that you say, although you're just one person and although you feel insignificant and although you are sinful, the things that you and I do and say now uh, are fraught with eternal significance and eternal purpose and eternal meaning. And so we have this opportunity to make an impact for the kingdom of heaven that goes far beyond the day that we lay in the grave. And we have the opportunity to relate to God in a way that we never could. And we are truly called children of God who represent him. That's the beauty of Romans 8. That's the beauty of the spirit living within us. That as hard as you try to know God, to represent him, to have an influence for him apart from the spirit, you will fail. That was the law. But now the spirit has accomplished what the law never could because the law gave us a list of commandments apart from empowerment to do it. But now the law lives in us. So what we're going to look at as we walk through Romans 8, 14 to 25 is uh, this wonderful blessing that the Spirit has given us of knowing that we belong to God. Knowing that regardless of how you may feel moment by moment, day by day, that the Spirit of God lives in you if you have trusted Jesus Christ. And so what we're called to do then is listen to the true voice of God's Spirit rather than to the voices around us in our culture or the voice of Satan or the voice of our flesh saying, nah, you never really can represent God. Or, you know, you really should just fit in 
and blend into the culture around you. Don't make waves. Instead, the Spirit calls us and empowers us to pursue God and to know him and represent him. That's what Romans 8, 14 to 25 is about. All right, so we're gonna start Romans 8, verse 14. And like I said, we're gonna back up a little bit. Blake did go through these verses last week, but they really help us make a transition to verses 18 through 27. So I wanna look verses 14 to 17 to begin. For all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. All right, so first of all, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit assures us that we are God's children, that we belong to him. And again, we don't always feel that way. Uh, I have a aunt, my mom's youngest sister. When she was younger, she uh, questioned whether she really belonged to the family. And here's why. If you've got multiple kids, you know that with the first kid, you take about one picture every 15 seconds, right? You're just constantly snapping pictures of that child. You've got pictures of every single event in their life, in their day, and they've got a baby book that's like this thick, right? By the time you get to child three or four, It's not that you don't love child three or four every bit as much. You just don't have as much time to get out the camera, right? So child three or four asks for that baby book and you you give them like a pamphlet, right? (laughs) It's just not the same as child one. Well, this was the case with my mom's youngest sister. There were three of them. And by the time they got around to her, there just weren't as many pictures. And so one day she said to my grandfather, I think I don't belong to this family. There's no pictures of me. I know it's deeply sad, isn't it? So here's what he did. He walked her over to the mirror in their house. And he said, Becky, I want you to look at that mirror. He goes, look at your face. Look at my face. Is there any doubt in your mind that you belong in this family? Somebody who looks like you could not have come from any other family. You belong. That's what the Holy Spirit does for us. There are days you say, you know, I don't belong to God. And maybe you feel that way. And Paul says, all who are being led by the Spirit are sons of God. And the idea is, as you listen to the voice of the Spirit, it's not that you are saved by doing certain things. Uh, Salvation, justification is a matter of believing in Jesus Christ as an absolutely free gift. But as you are led by the Spirit, you receive this assurance, this deeper subjective assurance that you are God's child. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Why is this? Because nobody who does not have the Spirit of God is a son of God. Only those who know Jesus Christ have the spirit of God dwelling within them. He says, if you're led by the spirit, you're a son or a daughter of God. And you've not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. And I know Blake briefly talked about this last week, but this word Abba, it's this intimate term. It's like saying daddy. And and a pious Jewish man or woman would not have used that term in reference to God. They talked about him as their father, but they didn't use this term Abba because it's this deeply intimate term. But Jesus uses it in uh, Matthew 14. You see Jesus, excuse me, Mark 14. You see Jesus using it right before he's going to go to the cross. He says, Abba, Father, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, as you will. 
And you see Jesus using this. And what Paul is saying is this, if the spirit of God lives within you, you have the same depth and intimacy of relationship with God that Jesus does. You're a child of God and you're a brother or sister with Jesus Christ. And you don't have a spirit that leads back to fear. Remember the law led to fear. Think back to when God gives the law to Moses and God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai to receive that law. And he says, Moses, you better set boundaries around that mountain and make sure the people stay a good distance back. Make sure they're clean. Make sure they're purified. Anybody touches that mountain, they're going to die. And the reason is because God is so holy that he cannot abide the presence of sin. And what the law did... Although the law was not evil, what the law did, its result was this, that it gave a set of requirements without any empowerment to fulfill them. And so men and women for hundreds of years labored trying to please God in their flesh, but they couldn't do it. And God used that time to stir up in our hearts a need for something more, for a deeper relationship with God. And so now because of Jesus Christ, the spirit comes, lives within us. We don't have the spirit of slavery leading to fear, but a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We'll talk about this more in a minute, but the great thing about the Spirit of God, as he even reminds us that our suffering connects us to Jesus Christ. When you suffer and struggle with the fact that the values of God clash with the values of our culture, when that causes you grief or pain, when it causes you trouble at work or among your peer group or with your family, that's a reminder that you belong to him because the Spirit is moving in your heart to say, you don't belong to this world. You belong to God in Jesus Christ. And so day by day, moment by moment, as we listen to the voice of the Spirit, it provides us this deep assurance that yes, we belong to Him. We belong to Him. It may be that you're accustomed to listening to other voices and the voice of the Spirit has become somewhat faint in your life. And so as a result, you you doubt your own salvation. Even though you have believed in Jesus Christ, you've received the free gift of eternal life, you go throughout your day and you doubt whether you really belong to him. And perhaps the reason is because you become accustomed to listening to other voices. And the more you listen to other voices, it has this effect that then you move away from the voice of the Spirit. So that the things that you do and say and think don't line up with how God is calling you to live. And it gets you into this cycle of then thinking, is all of this real? Am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? And what Paul says is, as we listen to the Spirit of God, as we come to the Word of God, as we spend time in prayer, as we look at suffering as an opportunity to be transformed into the character of Christ, and we allow the Spirit to empower us for that, then we're reminded, yes, I I do belong. I do belong. So the Holy Spirit reminds us and assures us that we're God's children. Not only that, but also reminds us and assures us that there is more to come. Look at verses 18 to 25. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one also hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Maybe you feel constantly like you're waiting for something, right? Like you want things to be better than they are now. Uh, And as you get older, you may feel increasingly that way. Uh, I was just talking with somebody this morning about how as you get older, your body just doesn't seem to work the way that it used to, right? And I'm not very old, but I'm approaching kind of the middle portion of my life. And you find that uh, things don't happen the way they did when you were 22, or 23, your body begins to decay and you think, I want it to be better. Maybe that you are in a job or in a family situation where you go, man, is this really all there is? I had all of these dreams for my career and for my life and for my future, and I pin my hopes on those, and they're not quite what I want them to be. Because you're looking and waiting for something more. As a college pastor, one of the primary things that I do is talk about dating. And marriage, right? Uh, That would essentially be my job description. Speak to college students and matchmaking, right? That's basically it. Talk about dating, speak to college students, okay? And uh, one of the things that you find is that, uh, man, they, when they are approaching marriage and, and engagement, they get super excited, which they should. And so when a student gets engaged, you'll see all kinds of pictures on Facebook and they'll show everybody. And uh, these girls, they they get their rings and they make sure they're always facing out. And you say, hey, how you doing? I'm good, right? I'm good. And they're showing you the ring all over the place and they're excited to be engaged and they should be. But here's what's interesting is that excitement of being engaged, it, it tends to fade after two, three, four months, right? Because they don't want to just be engaged. They want to be married. And so I've seen some, you know, they, they have an engagement that lasts a year or two, right? It's like a slow form of torture, okay? I had a friend that when uh, his friends and buddies would get engaged, he would always, they'd say, hey, I'm engaged. You go, congratulations, welcome to purgatory, right? That was his way of describing what it is. It's this in-between phase, right? Because you don't want to be engaged forever. Eventually, you want more from that relationship. You want the depth of relationship and the intimacy that comes in marriage, Similar illustration, one that this passage uses. Some of you ladies are either expecting a child or you have recently had a child. We have had a few friends even in the past week who have had new babies. And the pregnancy is exciting, right? At first, the first month or so, you're excited. You show everybody the sonogram. You're looking forward to it. About month seven or eight, at least in our experience with my wife, uh, it's less exciting, right? Right? Because someone else is inside taking up your energy, taking up your space, making it hard for you to sleep, and you're ready for that person to leave, right? You're ready for the eviction notice to happen, okay? You want what? The child. You don't want to be pregnant for two, three, four years, right? That sounds miserable, okay? Because you're waiting for something better. 
Now, here's what's amazing is uh, for many of you ladies, you have the baby and within months, what happens? You want another, right? And your husband says, don't you remember what just happened, right? The nine months of intense discomfort, the intense pain that you just went through. Well, you remember, but something overshadows that, right? The baby, the child, right? That's what Romans 8 is telling us. The Spirit of God lives within us and reminds us that even though now we suffer, when we look back, this suffering is going to be nothing. The blink of an eye compared to the glory that awaits us. And so we suffer, even when we suffer, every suffering, every pain, every discomfort in your life should be a reminder of the hope that awaits, that one day God will send Jesus back and Jesus will return and he will establish things to be the way that they ought to be. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying or sin. And if you know Jesus Christ, the spirit lives within you and says, you are an heir of all of that. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have this little bit of time of suffering. And our temptation is to take our eyes off of Jesus just to reduce the pain. To say, I'm going to blend into the culture around me just to reduce this tension I constantly feel from being out of step. I'm going to seek relief at whatever cost. And what Paul says consistently is, no, that would be a tragedy. Because what we're called to do is focus our eyes on Jesus and through the power of the Spirit within us, remember and remind ourselves that there's so much more to come. And although eternal life is an absolutely free gift for those who believe in Jesus Christ, there is also reward and inheritance and the opportunity to reign with Jesus Christ for those who are faithful. That's why Paul says at the end of his life, I fought the good fight, I finished the race in the future, there's laid up for me, what? The crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so the spirit reminds us there's more to come. And as you look around at the world and you see natural disasters and floods and hurricanes and wars and people sinning against one another, what Paul says here in Romans 8 is that's evidence that the world itself is groaning for its redemption. And because of sin, God has allowed the world to be subjected to this sort of futility, this emptiness, this seeming worthlessness or meaninglessness as a reminder to us that we're still awaiting our redemption. And so as you look at your life and as you look at the world now, sometimes you see this sort of weird dichotomy where some things seem beautiful and majestic and wonderful and we see the glory of God, but we also see sin and devastation and tragedy. Uh, This past summer, my wife and I went to one of our favorite vacation spots up in uh, upstate New York. It's a little camp up there in upstate New York. And uh, while we were up there one afternoon, Shannon and the kids had gone out to do an activity. And actually Shannon and the girls, I was back in our cabin while my son was taking a nap. And so I just took a few minutes and I was looking over some emails and I responded to an email uh, that Blake had sent me that was work-related. And I got an email back and he said, why are you checking your email while you're on vacation? You need to be enjoying your vacation. So I sent him a little email back uh, with this picture on it. 
And I said, all right, I'll go back to enjoying this. Now, when I got back home, Blake said, never do that again, all right? Because he was sitting at his desk in this building. I was sitting there in the middle of the Adirondack Mountains. It was beautiful, and we love it there. And we spent this wonderful week there. But here's something interesting. After we left, when we came back home and somebody sent us a news article that the day we left, one of their 18-year-old staffers drowned in that lake. And I thought, what a, what a vivid and yet tragic illustration of the world we live in. You sit there and you can see the beauty of God's creation and you see his hands all over what he's made. And yet even in the midst of the beauty of his creation, nature turns against us. Our flesh turns against us. So we see sin and we see tragedy. And what Paul says is that the world is waiting for its redemption. And in fact, it's waiting for you and me to be redeemed, to be restored. And the spirit of God in us produces often this sense of holy discontent that the fullness of what God has promised, I don't yet have. And I will not until the day that Jesus returns. And so the spirit, in a sense, acts, uh, Paul says, like a down payment of what is to come. Ephesians chapter 1. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In other words, the Holy Spirit that we have now is just a small down payment of what we will receive. And I think one of the mistakes that we often make as Christians is we believe once I trust Jesus, once I know him, everything should be perfect. My days should be constant laughter and happiness and fun. And if it's not, something must be wrong. And so sometimes we're tempted to drift away from the Lord because of that. And the reality is that the scripture tells us, no, we will not have all that God has promised until that day that Jesus establishes things the way they were meant to be until the day we see him face to face. And meanwhile, the spirit now reminds us of what's to come, reminds us that we belong to God. And then while we wait, the Spirit empowers us to do His will. The Spirit empowers us to communicate with God as well. Okay, Reminds us there's more to come, but then also helps us know God while we wait. While we're in this sort of holding pattern. Look at verses 26 to 27. And in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, while we wait, the Spirit helps us to know God, helps us communicate with God, helps us do that so that God can continually remind us, you belong to me, your inheritance is yet to come. And so because of what Jesus Christ has done, because the Spirit of God lives in us, we're able to serve Him and talk to Him like we should. And many of us feel like it's difficult to talk to God. It's difficult to pray. You don't have the words. You don't know what to say. You listen to other people speak, and it seems like everybody else has it down. And we feel like we need a translator. I have a a two-year-old son right now. And one of the things that we found is he's kind of at that stage where he's learning how to talk. And we were with my 
parents yesterday, and my dad is a little bit hard of hearing, and uh, we were talking to my dad later in the afternoon, and he said, yeah, when I got up this morning, Samuel was uh, out here, and I walked in, and Samuel said, uh, Jito, that's what he calls my dad, he says, Jito, ta-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na. And we go, what, what? And he goes, well, that's what I heard was just na 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 And he said, I started trying to talk to him and uh, Samuel gets frustrated because you don't understand him, but he'll just keep repeating it, right? He'll go, no, I said, na 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 right? <laughs> and so my dad's trying to figure this out. And as he's trying to figure it out, uh, our seven-year-old daughter came into the room and she goes, oh, he's saying, can you turn me around and around and around in the chair? And then she walked back out of the room. So my dad goes, oh, okay, I got it, right? And we find that a lot with uh, our oldest daughter acts as an interpreter for us even, right? Samuel will say, I need a da-ba-ba-ba, right? And we go, what? I need a da-da. And you'll say it over and over again. And finally, Elizabeth will go, he he wants his book about trucks, right? (laughs) And so you pick it up. She's the interpreter, right? That is exactly the image that we see here in Romans 8, 26 to 27, The Holy Spirit is our interpreter. You don't know how to communicate with God. I don't know how to communicate with God. The language that I use is frustratingly inadequate. There are things on my heart and in my mind that I want to express, but I don't always even have the words because my language is insufficient and I feel distance between me and God. And what the Spirit does is uh, communicates between me and God. The things I'm trying to say communicates even, as he says, these groanings that are too deep for words, that I long for redemption, and I don't even know how to put it into words. Say, God, I want your kingdom to come, but I can't adequately express that. I want to be a vessel of what you're doing in the world. I want to live out the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I want to be a person who lives those things out. But I don't even know how to ask. I don't even know how to express that. And the great thing is that while we wait for those things to be accomplished in our lives, God's spirit moves in us to speak to God on our behalf. So we don't wait in darkness and in silence. And what a beautiful picture of all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ and of the power of the spirit within us. Just a moment, the men are going to come forward. They're going to serve us communion. Communion is this wonderful opportunity for us to celebrate just what this passage is talking about. Communion is a reminder to us that uh, in Jesus Christ, we have this fellowship with God through the power of the Spirit, but we also have fellowship with one another, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We as believers are brothers and sisters of one another, but also of Jesus Christ. And so because we have this inheritance, we're able to come before God and say, God, thank you for what Jesus has done. And that's what communion is. It is a celebration of everything we've been talking about. That what Jesus has accomplished, it's not just that we get to go to heaven when we die, but it's an inheritance that goes far above and beyond anything you could imagine. It's an opportunity one day to reign with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. And it's a reminder that here and now we have fellowship with him in a way we could never apart from his spirit living within us. 
Communion is for uh, anybody who has believed in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. If you have done that this morning, uh, whether you're a member of this church or not, you're welcome to participate with us. If you have not yet trusted in Jesus Christ, what we would ask you to do this morning is go ahead and let the elements pass, but take this as an opportunity in your heart and in your mind to ask, is this the day that God is calling me to trust in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and eternal life in him alone? And once you do that, the spirit of God lives within you and then you become a brother or sister of ours in Jesus Christ, a a child of God, an heir of God, as this passage is saying. And as we take communion, I want us just to reflect on a couple of things. First of all, do this. Thank God. Take a moment and thank God that you've been adopted by him in Jesus Christ, that he has lavished, lavished his love and affection on you and me through the spirit that lives within us. We no longer face an eternity of darkness and separation, but we face life and community with him now and the promise of a future that's better than anything we experience now. And then secondly, ask him to help you to hear and obey the Spirit's voice. You may feel far from him because you haven't been listening to the Spirit's voice. And as it's quiet for a moment, as you hear the song, as you pray, Take a moment and re-engage with the Holy Spirit. Say, God, I want to know you through your word, through your people, through the spirit of God that lives within me. Help me to listen. Help me to obey. And then we will take of communion and celebrate all that God has done for us in Jesus Christ. opportunity to celebrate together the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 25 says, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Our Father, we praise you because through Jesus Christ we have eternal life, forgiveness of our sins, and an inheritance with him. Father, we pray that we would represent Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit that lives within us, that we would remember that we are your children, that we would remember there is a world to come. Father, that we would live in light of those realities. Thank you, God, for his body and blood through which we have adoption into your family and inheritance in your kingdom. Father, we thank you again and we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.